Okay, great. Um, I'm one of the pastors uh, in One Tribe. We've got a team with uh, pastors and deacons. Simba's one of the pastors, uh, as well as Sean, and we've got another uh, pastor who's on sabbatical, but uh, should be around pretty soon. So uh, watch that space. Now, one of the things um, that I enjoy doing, I must confess, is reading the agony ant section of the newspaper where people write in with their relationship problems. And so in the Daily Nation, they've got this section called Heart Advice, and you write it in on the weekend. And so I, I, I saw this one and thought it would be great to start off with. It says, Heart Advice. My boyfriend of four years wants us to live together before we wed. And so the boyfriend wants to have a three-month living trial with me before deciding to marry me. Should I leave with him? Uh, should I live with him? Oh, no, he say, she says, should I leave him? We've been together for four years now, and I feel like he's not sure about settling down with me. Please help, Lucia. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, I just picked two ladies, so what happens for this hot advice? You've got people who write in, and then they've got an expert who then gives his opinion. So I just picked these two ladies, and I can just imagine this lady saying, if you've been with them for four years and won't marry you, kick him to the curb, girl. There are many fishes in the sea. And then this is what Locadia says. Leave that man, I can imagine this one, leave that man with immediate effect. Oh, the market of men and women never runs dry. You'll get someone who truly loves you. And then here's the expert's advice. This is what the expert says. You know, I was like, okay, what is the expert going to say? Come on, solve this problem. Leaving him is an option. Though why not go along and see? Despite being together for those years, it is advisable to drive test living together before fully committing to a union that will not last even if he were to marry you. You should not get married because of some social obligation fueled by years together. You should decide to spend life together because you mutually want to be together. You can gain a title, but not the man, which means being in a marriage of convenience. Titles should not define your bond. I read this article and I was thinking, well, not only does Lucia need wisdom, but God have mercy on us when we've got experts giving wisdom like this. Surely wisdom is in short supply. And I don't know if you've heard of this new app called ChatGPT, and it's making all the waves. We're living in a world where we're creating these applications that you can just tell it, hey, answer this exam question or write this essay. Yet when we look at the world around us, it feels like people are becoming more foolish rather than being more wise. And I'm one of those people who's highly optimistic, normally, when the new year comes around. And so um, I'm not sure whether that's optimism or it's just another way of saying procrastination. But that's for another day. So as 2022 was kind of winding down and I'm looking forward to 2023, I'm looking at my MPESA balance, and I'm thinking, man, 2023 is the year when I'm, I'm going to bump up my, my MPESA balance. 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to invest wisely. I'm going to reduce my spending and increase my savings. Then I, showed, I thought, man, I can't do it. I need financial wisdom. And then as I'm going through the list of things, I, I think about my marriage. I think about the quality time that we've spent or not spent. I think about the date nights we were supposed to go on and the date nights we actually went on. I think about how my wife and I seem to have different definitions of what it means to be romantic. I find it highly romantic that I come home every day. <laughs> I find it incredibly romantic that I, I bring 100% of my money home. I feel like I'm the most romantic guy. And I, I just don't see how my wife and I can have different definitions of what romance is. So clearly, I need some help. I need wisdom for life. I can hear some ladies agreeing. And then I thought about our kids. How they're growing so fast. It feels like I blink, they'll be teenagers. I blink again, they're going to college. And the one night, I had an argument with my nine-year-old daughter. And she's, you know, when she argues... She, she doesn't give up that easily. So I got a bit annoyed. And then I said some words that admittedly were a bit harsh. And so I apologized to her. So my son and my daughter, they, they sleep in the same room. I apologized to her. Then I added a but. And so I added the but. And then I explained to her the things that were annoying. And then my son said to me, Dad, you should just say sorry. And then I thought, man, this kid is right. Now, if you find yourself getting parenting advice from your five-year-old son, then you know you need wisdom. Now, I don't have time to tell you all about my problems in life, my work, extended family, wider relationships. Suffice it to say that I deeply feel my need for wisdom. Now, maybe you might be in a different life stage. Maybe you're trying to make your business work. Maybe you're, you're, you're just trying to make your job work. You're trying to get employment. You're, you're trying to go through your studies. Maybe you're trying to navigate the dating scene. It's like your Facebook status. I, I don't know. They tell me Facebook is old. Uh, so I, I remember when it just used to say it's complicated. It's like perpetually. It's, it's just complicated. You're trying to navigate relationships. Or you're, you're trying to navigate life at home. Or, or time management. A.K.A. how much time you spend on social media and entertainment. And if you're honest, you'd admit that you need wisdom. And maybe you're here this morning and, and actually, without wisdom, if you're honest, you'd admit that your marriage might sink. The, the, this is the year when, when it just ends. Or your business is, is going down. Or you're, you're on the verge of, of losing that opportunity, that job. Getting estranged in your relationships. Wisdom is not an option for you. You need 
wisdom. And if that's you, and I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, it's me, then this series that we're about to start today is just the right series for you. Today we're starting a series called Wisdom for Life. And uh, this is where we're going to be looking at how to make life work, how to navigate life well. You see, the, the wisdom of the Bible doesn't concentrate so much on what we do in church, what sacrifice, what prayer. It's more concerned with what we do when we leave. More concerned about what we do when we're in the home, what we do when we're in the streets, what we do when we're in our biashara, what we do with our finances. And it helps us to worship this holy God, not just with our lips, but with all of our lives. And the good news is, we're not here to be discussing people's opinions. We're not going to be looking at, okay, what, what does the culture say? What do they think? What's, what's popular psychology telling us now? We're not going to be looking at, okay, this is the latest scientific knowledge that shifts and changes as new data emerges? No. Instead, we're going to be looking at God's ancient yet timeless wisdom. We have an amazing opportunity this morning to hear from the one whose wisdom brought forth creation, whose wisdom gave us the laws of physics, whose wisdom brought order out of chaos to help you and I live and navigate our lives well. And so if you have your Bible, please would you turn with me to Proverbs 1. And just so you understand where we're heading, I want us to answer two basic questions. What is wisdom? And who am I in relation to wisdom? That question will make sense as we go through. But before we do that, let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we are incredibly grateful for six years as a church, knowing that you're the one who walks among the lampstands. You're the one who's planted us here. We thank you for this incredible picture of drops becoming a river. Remembering the picture that Ezekiel had of this new temple that had a river coming out of it, that had trees, the tree of life, and whose leaves were for the healing of the nations. Thank you that that's what you're doing with us, Lord, that you are causing your glory to fill the earth by gathering a people for yourself who worship you and you alone. And so this morning, we invite you, Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. Would you be the one who comes and speaks to us? Lord, there, there are areas that cannot be untangled unless your wisdom comes through. There are relationships that cannot be mended unless your wisdom comes through. There are businesses that won't make it work. There are lives that could be ruined unless your wisdom comes through. And so, Lord, we cry out for wisdom. We ask for wisdom this morning. If you agree with that, why don't you just say amen? So the first question is, what is wisdom? And uh, I've tried to show what wisdom is not, that 
Wisdom is not kind of the democratic opinion when we all gather and we say this is what we think is the right decision. Wisdom is, is not necessarily our, our collected knowledge and data. Wisdom is not necessarily that path that looks right to man. As the book of Proverbs later will say, it can also lead us to death. And this concept of wisdom or the Hebrew concept of wisdom is, is not something that you can just easily capture in a sentence. In fact, in the Bible, we've got whole books and scriptures that are just given to help us grow in wisdom. It's called the wisdom literature. And Proverbs uh, falls under that. You've got Job and you've got Ecclesiastes, you've got some uh, Psalms. But we're going to read a passage that kind of begins to introduce and help us to get into this idea of what is wisdom. And so we'll start reading from Proverbs chapter 1. We'll read the first seven verses, and this is what they say. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. You remember Solomon was the king who at a young age prayed to God and said, would you give me wisdom? And he was reputed to be the wisest man of his time. And this is what he says. To, to know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying and the words of the wise and their riddles. And so from verse 6, we, we begin to get this idea that wisdom might not be as obvious. Wisdom is something that needs understanding and needs explanation. And then verse 7, that is the clincher for the whole book, that is the clincher of all wisdom literature in those scriptures, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, as we look at our passage, we see Solomon, or the author of this book, is saying, hey, I've written this so that you might know wisdom. And so we ask, okay, well, what does it mean by wisdom? And uh, that word for wisdom can be translated masterful understanding, or, or expertise, or skill, but in living. And this means that it's, it's practical knowledge that allows one to know how to act and speak in different situations. It, it, it's not just intellectual. It's, it's not like the Greek concept of wisdom where actually it's, it's what we have in our education system where we say we'll, we'll give you as much knowledge as possible. Read as widely as possible accumulate as much knowledge as possible without any care or concern of whether it affects your heart, whether it affects how you live, whether it affects how you speak, whether it affects what you do with yourself. And this is not the biblical concept of wisdom. Neither is it just getting things done. It's not just knowing how to speak or, or, or how to act. But it's got this core of morality or, or ethics, what is right and wrong. So it's not just speak in this way, but 
is this the right way to speak? Is this a good way to act? And ultimately, the motive of the heart. And wisdom is not just this concept that exists in a vacuum. It's not something that's idealistic and nice to talk about when we're together in church and crumbles when we meet with the complexities of life. But actually, wisdom will teach you how to avoid problems, but also how to navigate problems when they do arise. Wisdom will help you to relate with people better. It will help you to listen. It will help you to develop what is called emotional intelligence. It's not just IQ, but it comes with this ability to relate with people well. Not only do we have this concept of wisdom being the skill and mastery to be able to live life well, Solomon gives us a number of related terms that are kind of the cousins or, or come with wisdom. And firstly, he talks about instruction or discipline. And, and this has the idea of, of being trained, that, that wisdom is, is not something that's just easily or cheaply attained. It's something that requires discipline, where our word for discipleship comes. It's something that requires commitment. Wisdom is not the low-hanging fruit. Wisdom is not the easy road to take. Then he, he also talks about knowledge or learning, and it's not in the case of accumulating facts. I mean, how, how many of you know really educated, learned professors who you look at their lives and you think, man, education is not everything. And what Scripture is talking about is, is this knowledge with a purpose, knowledge with relationship, knowledge connected relationally to God and to people. And then he talks about having prudence or, or insight. And this talks about being able to see things that are below the surface, being able not just to see the words or hear the words, but actually be, be able to look deeper and understand What's driving something? You can imagine you've got a child or, or your spouse is, is grumpy because they slept late, they're tired, or they're hungry. Wisdom is what's going to shape whether you decide to fight fire with fire or you think, no, no, actually, this person is tired, is grumpy, is hungry. They need a different response than fighting fire with fire. What Proverbs says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Wisdom that is prudence and insight, another word for it is, is cool-headedness, level-headedness. Not rushing or jumping into situations, but considering the lay of the land first. Then he talks about discretion. Or discernment. And this is being able to differentiate the right and the wrong way to handle life. This, this brings kind of this ethical dimension, this, this moral dimension that actually, no, no, there's a right way and a wrong way. Everybody might be going in this direction, but actually, is this the right way to go? And finally, there's this idea of, of cunning 
or, or shrewdness. And this can be in a negative sense, but in the sense of, of wisdom, it's kind of being able to, to make plans, to, to see how things will work out and plan accordingly. And so wisdom is, is skill for living, navigating life, and brings in the ideas of, of discipline and, and knowledge and, and insight, prudence, discernment, and shrewdness. And again, as I, as I mentioned, this is not just something out there, something for the head, but it's something for the heart, something that will affect your relationships. Wisdom is, is something that you see in someone's life. Now, having defined wisdom, we've got this weird question. Who am I in relation to wisdom? Now, just to share a bit about myself, the book of Proverbs holds a special place in my life because when I was a teenager, I knew in my heart that I wasn't a Christian. In fact, I'd said to myself, look, this Christianity thing, uh, it's not for me. In fact, I, I think I don't even believe in God. But I liked the idea of being intelligent and clever and wise. I kind of always excelled in the academics, and I considered myself quite clever. The school system had told me, I'm, I'm, you know what, you are a clever guy. My parents would tell me, I'm, I'm clever. So when my sister told me that, hey, why don't you read Proverbs and you'll get even wiser? I was like, I'm with you. And so I began reading Proverbs. I, I read it all. And then after I read the whole book of Proverbs, I was left in no doubt, comprehensively, that according to the description of the book of Proverbs, I was an utter fool. I had no fear of God. I didn't care what God thought about my, my actions or my life. I didn't care about this concept of, of righteousness. I, I was concerned mostly about myself rather than others. I didn't care about my words and how they were received by other people. I just cared about expressing myself. I didn't care about anyone else's well-being. I didn't care if there's somebody sleeping hungry or poor or disadvantaged or vulnerable as long as I could be okay. I didn't care about sexual purity. I didn't care about things such as integrity, honesty, or hard work. Show me the shortest route to success. Show me the easiest road to get to where I want to be. And Proverbs clearly and resoundingly called me a fool. Now, when we look back at the verses that we read, when we look back at verse 1 to 7, we, we see that three types of people are identified. Firstly, we've got the one who's called simple and a youth. That's in verse 4. It says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. 
Then we've got this guy who's called wise. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And then at the end, the end of verse 7, we've got this one who's called the fool, who despises wisdom and instruction. And you can imagine what it does to my ego to realize that I'm, I'm not there even among the simple. I come in all the way in verse 7. And for us to kind of get an idea of what the writer is talking about, the simple, the one who's called the youth, speaks of immaturity. The, the Hebrew word that gives us this noun of being simple, it speaks of being gullible, easily led, being naive. And the simple is not kind of on, you know, this path of simplicity, but actually is pictured on this perilous path because the simple must choose between wisdom and foolishness. He, he's not quite responsible with his choice and actions. And if he's not careful, he's on this escalator and will graduate to become a fool. And so what the simple needs is to make a firm decision concerning the direction of his life and he needs to make it fast. You see, the, this idea of wisdom is both pressing and urgent. You and I are all one decision away from ruining our lives. You're one decision away from, from ruining your marriage. One decision away from saying something that can cause irreconcilable differences. One decision away. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't given thought to this idea of wisdom, I must warn you that you are on the escalator of simplicity. And this morning, life, the path of life and the path of death are presented to you. And then we've got the wise and the fool. And sometimes as you read the book of Proverbs, the wise is also called righteous, which means someone who's willing to take disadvantage to be able to advantage the community. Someone who's, who's willing to sacrifice themselves for the benefit of others. Whilst the fool is also called wicked and is called a scoffer or a mocker, Someone who will advantage themselves at the expense of others. And you see, the thing about the wise and the fool is that it's not, what separates them is not the issue of intellect or intelligence. What separates them is not opportunity. What separates them is not experience. Both of them equally are in God's school of wisdom. What separates the wise and the fool is two things. Firstly, reverence and relationship with the Lord. And secondly, teachability. And now I just want to talk about where we get this idea of reverence and relationship with the Lord. If we look at 1 verse 7a, just that last verse we read, it says, The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of knowledge. And this idea of the fear of the Lord is, is not cowering away from God. It's, it's, it's not being kind of subservient. It's not turning away in fear. But it's living a life of reverence and awe. It's when the reverence and awe that we were singing about, the holiness of God, not only affects our emotions as we sing, but it affects the way that we live. The Bible doesn't give us definitions, but what it gives us are stories. And it's the fear of God that caused Joseph to refuse to sleep with Potiphar's wife. And I'll have to be honest, I've wondered at times, what did Potiphar's wife look like? How, how difficult was it for Joseph to make that decision? What made, what made the decision for Joseph wasn't whether Potiphar's wife was attractive or not attractive, like, lady, please. No, no, it was the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what motivated David when he had the opportunity to kill Saul. He had him at his mercy. But he says, no, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. The fear of the Lord lives our life before the audience of one. It, it gives priority to what God thinks about our motives, our hearts, what God thinks about the way we think, what God thinks about the way we speak, what God thinks about the way we live. You see, because sometimes wisdom will require you to look foolish in the world. The opinion of the world is that, hey, this is the direction where we ought to be. This is what wisdom looks like in relationships. This is what wisdom looks like in finances. This is what wisdom looks like. You can't let your wife speak to you like that. She's not going to respect you. You can't do that for your wife. You, you can't say that to your kids. You have to do this for your kids. And wisdom says, no, no, no. I will filter the wisdom of the world. I will filter what's happening in the culture under the fear of the Lord. Does it match what God is calling me to? But wisdom is not simply reverence or, or awe. Fundamentally, it's about relationship. And we can, we can easily miss that when we look at Proverbs 1 verse 7, where it says, the fear of the Lord. That, that word translated the Lord is the covenant name of God. Normally when they translate G-O-D with capital G, that's Elohim. That's, you see that name appearing in, in creation. It speaks of God's power and sovereignty, His ability to create everything out of nothing. It, it, it can also be what we get from what might be called just our natural understanding of the world. In Africa, we know we always knew there was a God. We always knew there was one God. Whether we said, hey, he, he lives on Kirinyaga, not Mount Kenya, Kirinyaga, that, that, that's where God resides. Whether you, you call him Mungu, whether you call him Sit Olarun, any Nigerians here? Whether you call him, is it Opak? Opak Roth, any Luas in the house? 
Whether you call him Wari, any Shonas? Come on, don't leave me hanging. This is sovereign God, powerful. But yet also comes with this idea that he's a, he's a bit distant. You, you can't just meet with him anywhere. You, he's there on, on, on Kirinyaga. He's, he's at the top where it snows and it's too cold for us to get to. We'll just kill the goat here and, and he'll be there. We'll worship him that way. Yet, this word translated Lord and it's capital L-O-R-D. This is Yahweh. We, we, we actually don't know how to pronounce it. It doesn't have vowels. I am the God who meets with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And he says, I am. He's, he's the God who sees. He says, I have seen the groaning of my people. I have come to rescue them. I remember my promises that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This relational God. The God who saves. And Proverbs is saying, hey, it's not the fear of God somewhere, any God. It's the fear of Israel's covenant God. That at some point, all of us, we, we've got our revelation of, of Ngai and Mwari, but we need to turn to this uh, covenant-making God, the God of Israel. You, you don't approach Him in whatever way that you think or whatever way that you decide. You don't say, hey, we, we always knew how to get to Him. No, no, He has revealed Himself specially to a people and He has made a covenant with them and He's saying, I will reveal myself to the world through my relationship with people. I am Yahweh. And, and so when we sing, holy, 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 I love the picture. You've got these angels, they're called seraphim. They're the burning ones. They're pure. They're holy. But we hear with two wings, they cover their feet. And with two wings, they cover their faces. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They can't approach God. But we heard this morning that the veil has been torn where the angels cannot even dare to look. This, this God now says, you are my children. Approach me with grace and confidence and find help in your time of need. Where the angels cover their feet and their faces, we go up and we say, Abba, Father, because he's a relational God. And this is what brings us to wisdom. Having this, this reverence and awe and this deep, intimate relationship. But not only do we have reverence and relationship, we have to come with humble, unconditional teachability. If we read Proverbs 1 verse 5, it says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. I wonder if we gave you the label wise. Could we tell you anything? If we gave you just a sticker for one day that says wise. My kids, when they're playing with their friends, like, and then one of them says, hey, gives them a fact, like, you know, there's this there, or I saw this there, they would answer, I know. And that's our default setting. I have to admit, that's my default setting. I don't like to be told. And my wife is always asking, is this a man thing or what? So I don't know, wives. I know. Don't tell me. I know. 
Yeah, but you're turning the, right, the wrong way. I know. Don't worry. I've got a plan. But the wise, it says he listens. He hears. And he's open to increasing in knowledge, in learning. He's willing to, to let someone else help him to understand and get guidance. The wise is willing to be guided like the simple. The wise says, no, no, no. I don't have wisdom all on my own. I need others. I need counsel. I need help. The fool, on the other hand, says he despises wisdom and instruction. I know. Don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me how to act. Don't tell me how to think. And what I've seen is this kind of selective. Okay, I want wisdom on relationships. I'll come to Simba and would say, well, you guys, you look like you got it together. Would you give me wisdom on relationships? But don't tell me about how I spend my time. Don't talk to me about my finances. Why? I know. And friends, we, wisdom can't be taken selectively. You can't pick and choose. The way wisdom is pictured in the book of Proverbs is as a lady. And she will have no rivals. It's you're with me or you're with the other lady. And by the way, her name is Folly. And so we've got this challenge this morning of how humble, how teachable are you? But as I close, as we come to the end, the wonderful news is that the book of Proverbs, the wisdom literature, is not there to give us good advice, but it's there to give us good news. Our passage starts by saying, hey, this is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And we know how Solomon's life ended. This guy who was the wisest man shipwrecked his life. He became disillusioned. He became cynical. And so, it's not enough, even if you were to memorize the whole book of Proverbs, even if you were to memorize all the wisdom literature, it's not good advice that you need. It's good news. And the good news is that when we were all headed in our simplicity, when we were all headed in our folly, God didn't send us a wise teacher. God didn't send us somebody to give us good advice. But God came in the person of his son who was able to say that one who is wiser than Solomon is standing with you. God came in the person of his son to take the penalty that belonged to us because of our wisdom, which we'll see in the book of Proverbs, is death. And he, though he was completely wise, died the death of fools. The Bible says that he was stripped naked, that he was condemned 
with the wicked, with sinners, and he was crucified in the most grueling and excruciating form of death that Rome could devise. A death that was not given to Roman citizens was only reserved for the worst in society, slaves and criminals. Yet he is the true son of David. He is the true giver of wisdom. And maybe as I've been speaking, you thought, hey, I can I identify with you. If I go through the book of Proverbs from cover to cover, I see myself. I'm, 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 I would be a fool. The answer is not shape up and change your life. Because even the wisest man we have, Solomon, he couldn't do it. Because the heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. Unless your heart has changed, you will always have problems. What you need is not memorizing, although that might help, but you need the wise one himself to come and give you his heart of wisdom. And I just want to end with that. The invitation for us as we begin this series is to embrace wisdom, is to embrace this reverence and relationship, is to embrace humility and unconditional teachability. But more than that, is to embrace the wise one who came to give us wisdom at such an incredible cost. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the truly wise one, one greater than Solomon. You are wisdom embodied, the wisdom of God, as Paul calls you. And so this morning, Lord, would you search our hearts Would you help us throughout the week to sit under the scriptures, to to sit under your word, to, to be like the psalmist who says, would you search my heart and see if there's any way that is contrary to you? Would you search my heart and see if there's any words that are not pleasing to you? Lord, we want to be a wise people because scripture says that the wise will shine We want to be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. Lord, we are living in a world that is crying out for your wisdom. And so, Lord, we ask that you would send us out in the power of your Spirit with wisdom for our generation. Amen.